Thank you for joining us on Sunday mornings at Frisco Church. But as I was just looking at this, and I'm not going to bore you with details of my trip, I just want to show you something. Turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, and I'll get ready here. You say, what are you showing us that for? I don't care about your trip, but I want to show you what the Lord showed me. John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day of the great feast, so it's a busy place. It's funny, in John chapter 7, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Jesus is really teaching in the temples and stuff. He's getting pretty controversial in here. I was just reading it this morning. He done fed 5,000 people. He done walked on the water. And now he's teaching a whole groups of people in the temple and stuff. And they're, they're like, man, is this the Messiah? Is this not the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? What's he going to do? How can he do all these miracles? Isn't that what, what we said the Messiah was going to do? And then he says this. He says, on that last day, the great day of the feast, Je Jesus stood and cried out whenever it says that it got my attention because I like to get a little bit loud whenever I got something to say I'm just kind of made that way you know but Jesus was going to get a point across and he stood up in the midst of all these people I could just picture it in my mind and he says this if anyone thirst let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture says and to me that's important because I know whenever he says as the scripture says What's going on with all these people around him are trying to figure out if he's Messiah or not. So Jesus just foundation. He put it in concrete right here because the scripture in that day would have been like, that's it. That's the word of God. There's no denying. There's, there's no taking from it. And Jesus just solidifies this and says, hey, look, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you believe in Jesus. Verse 39 says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I was thinking of that, man, I wish I would have been here a couple Sundays ago when Brother Josh talked about the Holy Ghost. Because, man, I love being transformed by the Holy Ghost and living my life full of the Spirit of the living God. Because for most of my Christian walk, I did that without Him. And now it's one of the most controversial things we, we talk about in the church, and I don't understand why. Because the Scripture's all about denying our flesh and being filled with His Spirit. And Jesus says that living waters will flow from you when they do. And I was thinking, I got a chance to see probably the biggest river on the planet. And I want to tell you something. What I noticed about that, that river is that it was full of life. Man, there was all kinds of birds. There was all kinds of crocodiles. There was all kinds of life that was growing and, and living off that river. And Jesus says, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to be like in you when you come to me. One thing about that river was you couldn't stop that river. They say it goes from, that's Uganda, and it goes up to uh, Egypt, and I forget the name of that sea up there. But it goes, and they say if you drop a note or a bottle in down here, it'll go and it takes 90 days to get there. And it's a continual flow. And it's funny because I don't know much about rivers and stuff, but I know one thing, you can try and put stuff in the way. You can try and sometimes a river will, will get clogged up and stuff. Sometimes you'll look and the river will just fall and you won't see it for miles, but all of a sudden it gets up and it's bigger than it ever was. Sometimes you can try to dam up a river, but the water still flows. Sometimes there's obstacles in the way. And, you know, sometimes there's things floating on the river that still can't stop it. And there's something here that Jesus says, if you 
believe in me, you'll be like rivers of living water. And I was just thinking about that river and how it sustains so much and stuff. But I think lots of times, so much of the time, when we get filled with the Spirit, we begin to flow, and all of a sudden an obstacle or something may come in the way, and we take our eyes off the source. And it doesn't matter when you're in the river and when you're filled with the Spirit, we always got to keep our eyes on the source. Whether it's difficult situations or some of us has experienced death, like Brian was talking about some of our leaders in the church or our son, or maybe it's addiction, or maybe it's brokenness, or maybe it's finances, or, or I don't know what obstacles life can throw you. Maybe it's your marriage. Don't take your eyes off the source. Because just like the Nile River, it was powerful and it was amazing. And our source is our Heavenly Father. And never take your eyes off Him even whenever obstacles come in your way and the river will flow. And the only thing about that river, let me tell you, it's backed up. They said whenever they first found that Nile River, it was like 40 feet wide. Right there, it's huge and wide. Do you know why the only thing that stopped that river from flowing is that man put a dam in it somewhere. And I, isn't that so much the way we are with our spiritual river and our Holy Spirit that's in us? Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's man that can block a flow in our spirituality, in our, in our, in our Holy Spirit uh, experience. And it's the obstacles that we place in the way that will cause us to damn ourselves up. And it's obstacles that we place. Maybe it's our thinking, maybe it's our belief, or maybe it's those things. That's really about the only thing I see that can block this. But we got to stay focused on the source of our river. I was thinking of Jesus in uh, John chapter 4 whenever he was at the wrong place at the wrong time of day, with the wrong woman he wasn't even supposed to talk to. And he sent his disciples away and he said, hey, if you give me a drink of that water, you know, give me a drink of water. And she said, no. And he says, if you would ask me, I would give you living water. And I was just thinking of that and how Jesus wasn't even supposed to be there. He sent his guys away. He was in Samaria. And he wasn't even supposed to, supposed to speak to this woman. You know, because she was out there in the middle of the day, and we can go on and on and on about this. But the thing is, I see that woman, she receives a, a drink from Jesus that day, and I see her take off and go. See, her river began to run that day. She didn't wait around. The headwaters were strong. She met Jesus, and it says that she went. And she says, come see a man that told me everything I know. And I don't know. I can't back it up in Scripture, but I was reading, or I, was, I think I heard on the radio the other day, they was talking about this woman in Samaria that Jesus met at the well and said that in history that she went down as almost like one of the disciples. Like she was a, she was a real solid pillar in the church back then when it started. Why? Because she got a drink of living water and she let it run because she met the headwaters. She got filled with the Spirit of the living God. And that's for us today. Like, we have the Holy Spirit, man. Like, we should be able to run with this. Just like the rivers, we shouldn't let obstacles run with this. We shouldn't get bound up, broke down, spread out. Not whenever we keep our eye on the source of our living water. And I want to just give you a couple examples of that today. Turn with me in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. I've been stuck on this scripture for a while. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, that right there sticks off to me because what that tells me, there's something going on. There's got to be something going on here for Isaiah to even say that. His king just died. What's his king? King's his leader. 
So his people, his, his people that, 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 that he's part of and stuff, their leader just died. So Isaiah looks concerned to me. And actually in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, boy, that microphone come on good, didn't it? 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 21, 22, it talks about King, King uh, Uzziah and he had leprosy and he was cast out. So now he died. He, so he's dying. And now Isaiah is concerned for his people. And it says this, so there's a concern on Isaiah. And it says, uh, King Isaiah died, and I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. Isaiah began to have a vision when he got concerned for his people. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's a vision of the throne room of God, just like John had in, in Revelation. And I just love reading that because one day we're all going to be able to stand there. And one day we're all going to see this. Because I believe in my heart of hearts that this is real. And I want to live a life of integrity and sold out to my heavenly Father, letting the river of life flow through me, his Holy Spirit, so one day I make it here. Like we get just a little glimpse of it and it's going to be good. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. All of a sudden, whenever Isaiah got transformed into the throne room, he found out maybe he wasn't quite so pure and so clean as what Isaiah always thought. Maybe he found out when he stood in front of the holy, 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 that, man, he's got some homework to do. Maybe he found out that, man, he is a holy God and I am nothing. And we have Jesus. Praise God we have Jesus. So Isaiah is standing there and he says, uh, I'm a man of unclean clean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me having his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And it's just amazing to me that it was in God's presence where Isaiah was purified. It wasn't out on the street. It wasn't in a service. It wasn't doing anything. It was whenever Isaiah got in the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but man, it's my favorite place in the world is to go out in my secret place and get alone with God. It's where I get to hear Him. It's where I get revelation from Him. And it's where a man's changed. I believe. I spend time in the Word. I get revelation from the Word. And I love coming here and encouraging God's people. Like, I come here this morning to encourage you. I believe our assembly is so we can encourage one another and go out and share the gospel as a river of living water flowing through us through the Holy Spirit. But it's in my secret place is where my life's been changed and transformed. I'll never forget it. I was outside just cleaning brush, and I said, man, I'm aggravated and frustrated, Lord. I tell this story all the time, and I just stopped, man, and I got to seek you because I don't, my life's not lining up with your word, and I believe somehow, some way, in a process of a couple weeks, 
my life was transformed and somewhere in the mix there I was baptized with the Holy Ghost because he took my peace or he took my anger or my frustrations and he turned it into peace and he turned it into joy and it was in that secret place, that Holy of Holies, whenever I sought after him was where my life was transformed and I see it in scripture in a man and now I just want to live my life just like a lot of these guys live their life and I want to hear the voice of God and I want rivers to flow out of me. Why not? Why not? If we come in hungry, if we come in seeking after, if we come in sold out to Him and His gospel, He says He, he, uh, he, he oh man, it's all over. Uh, he says that He will, He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Then why not you and me? If we really want God to move like we read in the Word, then maybe we need to start acting like men and women of the Word and professing and confessing over our life that we are sold out, spirit-filled, and rivers of living water will be running out of us. Amen? But being saved costs you something. It may cost you a lifestyle. It may cost you a relationship. It may cost you a living place. It may cost you a job. Isaiah stood before a living God. Holy, holy, holy. And oh man, woe is me. And then God took something from him. And I think that when we come to the cross, when we come to Jesus, it's always going to cost us something. But I want to tell you, God is not a God of subtraction. He's never going to take something from us and not multiply it in our life. He'll take your anger. He'll take your fear. He'll take your addiction. He'll take your frustration. And He'll give you peace, joy, and grace because that's how He rolls. I just know it to be true because He did it in me. The thing is, I never got this stuff from a Sunday school class and stuff. I just had to walk it out and learn for myself and be sold out to Him. And all of a sudden, man, and it's a process. Like, I've been at this for a long time. And it's just, man, I just keep going after it. I do my best. I do my best. And there's been years, man, I just sit normal and flat. Like, like I ain't a saint by no means, man. I'm just trying to do the best I can. And whenever I get opportunities to step out of the boat, man, I want to go for it. Because I thought that invitation was for everybody. Jesus said that Jesus was going to walk right past them because they thought he was a ghost. I think he gave them the power and authority because he told them whenever they fed the 5,000 people, he said, no, you feed them. They said, what? He said, no, you have them sit down. You go feed them. I said, it's, going, it's a year's worth of wages. Jesus, what are you talking about? He said, come here, give me what you got. He said, give me what you got. They brought five loaves, two fish. He fed, what, 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people. They said, now go collect the leftovers. Each one picked up a, a basket of leftovers for themselves. He said, get in the boat. They went out and toiled, and he sat there and watched them all night as they fought against the waves, fought against the waves, fought against the waves. And about third watch of the night, fourth watch of the night, he come walking out, said he was going to pass them. Why? Because they didn't understand the loaves. Jesus told them to get in the boat and you go. I think he was going to pass them because they already had the authority. He told them to go. Go. Rivers of living water. But Isaiah says this. You always get something when you lay it at the feet of Jesus. He'll take your hurt. He'll take your pain. He'll turn it into anointing. He'll turn it into for, to transformation. Whatever you give him, he'll transfer. He's not a God of subtraction. He's a God of multiplication. I believe that. 
I just remember I've seen it in my physical life. I've seen it in my spiritual life. The more I begin to give him, the more I get. I remember we started off doing our business. I bought five lots. That was tremendous. I paid for one, and the old boy fronted me about four of them. It's like, wow, praise God. A few years later, I was faithful. I was dependable. I used my business to try to glorify my father. When he would send me men, I would just speak the life of God inside of these men the best I could. Because so many guys were lost and broken, they didn't know. So I used my business and my job just to try and just to try and show men how to be a husband, show men how to be a father, and glorify my heavenly father. And it went in about three years, it went from five lots to now we got 50. Because my God doesn't play by our rules. He does what he wants, and he's a God of multiplication. And I see it in my physical life, and I see it in my spiritual life. Because I'm today not what I was six months ago. Like last year, man, I was broken, and I was hurt this time last year. I've never been through a, a such pain in my life, and I just stayed after it, and I just stayed after it. And I come in here when I heard the worst news of my life, and I stood right there, and I worshipped him because I wasn't walking out of here not doing it. And all of a sudden, he just began to multiply his spirituality into my life just because he's good and he's a multiplier whenever we bring stuff to his feet and whenever we pick up our cross and when we go through the waves, it's not always about him and what we can get and the blessing we can get. That's not rivers of living water. That's a dead sea. He says you will be rivers of living water spewing out on those, giving it away. I'm pouring in, you're giving it away. I'm pouring in, you're giving it away. Rivers of living water. Amen? And one thing I noticed in this scripture is God never looks at us and keeps us in our condemnation. God never looks at us and says, man, you're filthy, get away. God never looks at us and says, man, I wish you would get better. God never is going to leave us there. You know what he did to Isaiah? He picked Isaiah up and he touched his mouth with a coal. And I found that and he says, I purged your iniquity and took it away. And I just found that to be so interesting because he was a prophet. Why did he touch his mouth? Why didn't he touch his heart? Why didn't he touch his mind? The scripture says he touched his mouth and purged his iniquity. And I'm just grateful that we have a God that will never leave us, that when we come to his throne room and whenever we draw close to him, it says that he will take us and he will clean us up. He never pushes us away and keeps us that way. He never says, you need to get right and then come back. It says that he allows us to come into his presence and in his presence, in my secret places where I was cleaned up, where I was transformed. And the scripture proves it because he did that to Isaiah. He says, come here, son, I want to show you something draw close to me get real close and I'm going to purge your iniquity out of you and it's amazing to me and I didn't go on in the scripture but I want to show you something and after he was purged and after he was cleaned up and after he, he says this it says also I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then I, say, says, then I said here I am send me but it was only after he came to the Holy of Holies. It was only after he seen the Lord. And it was only after he was cleaned up. And then he was transformed. And you know what I really get out of this scripture? This is why I love reading my Bible. I read my Bible because as I'm sitting here reading chapter 6, I look over and I see chapter 5. And I got a big old square right here. And I was looking at this and in verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe in me, for I am undone. But in chapter 5, I counted this morning... I wrote down, it says seven times in chapter 5, Isaiah says, woe are they. Woe are they. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, 
Woe are those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men uh, uh, mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous men. It was only after Isaiah stood in the presence of the Holy of Holy and the living God that he said, Woe is me. Woe is me. And he said, You know what? I spend time with you, Father. Send me. And the river ran through the Holy Spirit. It was whenever his iniquity got taken from him. And whenever he got right with the Lord, and when he got a relationship in his secret place, and God called him out, and God never left him, and God subtracted some stuff from him, purged him of his sin, and purged him of his thought towards his brethren. The word right there in chapter 6, verse 1 says, And the king Isaiah died. It means he was worried about the same people that he was blaming, pointing fingers at, concerned about, backbiting and stuff. He had an experience with the living God. He got taken to the holies of holies. And he says, Woe with me. Send me. I'll go back to him. He stood in front of God and realized, Man, I got some stuff to take care of here. And the river ran. You know why? Because he found the source. He found the headwater. He was in the Holy of Holies. It don't get no higher. That's where it all starts from. That's where the rivers of living water flow. Jesus said, come to me. And I'll make you rivers of living water. And out of your heart, it'll flow. See, it was never a blessing for ourselves when we come to the Lord. We want to get filled with the Holy Ghost so we can talk in tongues. We get blessed. Then life's good. Life's easy. It was never designed that way. I see in the book of Acts, they got filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, Peter's standing out there bringing it, man, bringing it down. You know what he was telling them guys? Repent. Repent. Hey, that's boldness to these guys. They just crucified your rabbi. Repent. Repent. Rivers of living water. Let's go to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 26, I think. I want to give you another example. 2 Samuel chapter 26. I'm just throwing out some examples that I've been chewing on in my quiet time of these guys, man. I just see such transformation, and I want to be like one of these guys. So I look into these guys, and I study these guys, because I want God to move in my life like he did in these guys' life. Amen? So he gives me a love letter. He gives me a perfect example. And so as I begin to read this, man, I, this is kind of a crazy story. In chapter 25, David just comes off a big uh, roust of the Philistines. And I love this story, man, because out in my secret place, I have big trees too. And that's sometimes how the Lord likes to speak to me. He'll rattle the tops of the trees, and I know his presence here because he just loves me like that. I, I was telling that to somebody. I'm like, man, I, sometimes people think that uh, that's a little bit crazy or, or something like that. And I'm like, man, but I wish you had a relationship with your heavenly father like I do because he just knows I dig stuff like that. And he loves me, so he does special stuff like that for me. And I don't want to look like the rest of the world. <clears throat> I want to look like me, and I want to walk out my blessing. I want to walk out what he has designed for me. And if that's what he does to me in my secret place, then I think that's what he'll do for you in your secret place. We just got to get to the holies of holies and have ears to hear. You know, sometimes we like to make fun of people whenever 
whenever they're dancing or, or something like that. How many times have you pulled up to a car at a stoplight or something like that, and you see that person just getting down and acting all crazy and stuff, and you're thinking, wow, man, what are they doing? They're crazy. The problem is you're just not hearing the music that they are. Maybe they're in their secret place, and they're hearing the voice of God, and he's calling them and transforming them. Maybe he's purging them into something that we've never been purged into. Maybe they're probably spending more time with your heavenly Father and being transformed into the image of the living God. Like, that's all my heart's desire is to be, is that. And we see this in this scripture. David just roused the Philistines, and it's an amazing thing. And what's really amazing to me about that is, is that he calls on God and says, Hey, God, can, can I... Uh, can I whip these Philistines? And he says, yeah, go ahead. I'm with you. Well, then them son of a guns come back again. You know, that nemesis, that thorn in the flesh, the children of Israel. They come back, and God says, hey, you, or David says, you want me to go back and get them again? He says, no, 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 no. Go up and around. And he said, when you go up and around, then when you hear the rattling in the tops of the mulberry trees, no. Or I think it's the marching. When you hear the marching of the, uh, in the tops of the mulberry tree, then he says, you'll know to attack because I'm with you. And so David does that, but what's encouraging to me is that David knew his heavenly father. He knew him so well that, man, when his life depended on it, I mean his life depended on it, he knew where to go. He didn't go and not get an answer. He wasn't going and waiting on a sign. David went before the Lord, and he had a relationship with the Lord, and he got direction right there. And anyway, in chapter 6, it says this, Again, David gathered all the children of Israel, 30,000 people. 30,000 men. That's a lot of people, especially for that day and age. Like, I think that would be like double with our population and stuff. And David gathers all these men and gets all these men, all his people, and he's going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. And it says down around, uh, I don't know, chapter 6, verse 9, verse 6, I think they was running and the Ark of the Covenant about fell off the, off the cart they was pulling it with. And so like a guy named Uzziah or something like that reached over and, and tried to hold the cart up and he just got struck dead, you know. And so it says that David was afraid at that time and they parked this Ark of the Covenant where God, his presence would be in this guy's house. And then all of a sudden David hears, they said, hey David, I think it sat there for like three months. And then David hears how this guy's house is being blessed. And David says, whoa, wait a minute. I'm coming after that. Amen? And so David starts putting together a plan, and he's going to do it right this time because he wants the blessing of God on him. And I mean, like, isn't that us? Like, so far after so long, we see the blessing that this guy got, and we see the blessing that they get. Well, I want the blessing for myself, but maybe I don't have the ark in my house. Maybe I'm not spending time where the ark's at. So David gets his men together again, the whole house of Israel together again, I believe. First time it was 30,000 people. This time I think there's probably a little bit more drama to it. So I'm not so sure there wasn't more folks. I don't know. There was definitely more folks interested in what's going down because he done tried this once and failed, and now we know the blessing's happening. And so I know that it, it, it's a scene, right? David just like beat his enemies. He just got crowned king. Now he's going after the Ark of the Covenant to bring it back. So he gathers all these people. He's doing it right. 
I think it says that he would take a few steps, then he would butcher an oxen and, uh, and uh, make sacrifices to him. It says uh, all the stringed instruments and all that stuff. Hey, man, there's a big old parade coming to town. The king's coming. He's bringing God with him. It's going to be good. Let's all hear about it. Let's get in on the action. Let's do this deal. It's going to be huge, man. We're going to get the blessing of the Lord. And then David does something crazy. He strips down to a linen ephod. The king strips down to a linen loincloth and begins the dance. Man, I don't know. I could go a lot of ways now. I know one thing, kings don't do that. He had everybody out there. Everybody would have been watching. Everything would have been going his way. And then he strips down to his skinnies. I don't know. You got to understand that. Like I could almost see our guy doing that if somebody told him that, Mr. Biden. But, but not David. This guy was a fighter, man. This guy was a fighter. He had a bunch of mighty men that followed him. He just got king. He just was the king of Israel. He defeated the Philistines. The Ark and the Covenant's coming home, and he just does this crazy thing. And it says he stripped down to his linen loincloth ephod, and he began to dance in front of the Lord. And as they began to bring this Ark in, where God was, into the city, David come in front, and he was just getting it, the Word said. All naked up. And he was just getting it. Coming into town. And they was there, and his wife, Micah, or whatever, says, hey, look. Here, let me just read it. It says, uh, now the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and Micah, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw the king David leaping and whirling before the Lord. She despised him in his heart. Hey, Brother Josh, you want to come up? So David's just getting down. Man, he was like the most fightingest dude there was. And now he's acting crazy. Like, I'm sure it made mamas cover up their children's eyes. It probably made people blush. His wife was mad. You know, Michael was King Saul's daughter. She knew something about a king, being a king. And this wasn't protocol. Like when you're leading a nation, you don't do this. And here come David. And she says, you did this in front of the slave women and all this stuff. And it says she despised David in her heart. And it was his defining moment as a king. But let me tell you something. There's an important thing right here. What David did was whenever he came and the Ark of the Covenant was coming into his kingdom, David stood there and said, man. And he took off his royal robes. And David laid them down. Before the power of God and the blessing of God was coming into his kingdom, he stripped himself as his identity. David stripped himself of his authority. David stripped himself of everything that made him king. And he began to worship. <laughs> That's not what kings do, man. If there was ever any time that David should look like a king, it was right now, David. Right now, because you're our protector. You're our provider. You're the one that goes and, and, and meets with other kingdoms. 
You're our spokesperson. All our authority is in you, David. Don't be naked, David. And David takes it and lays it all down. And whenever he came into his kingdom, he was worshiping his heavenly father. And his wife that grew up in King Saul's palace. The word says that King Saul, he was heads and shoulders above everybody else. This dude looked like a king. And his heart wasn't right. He got stripped from it. And here comes David getting his dance on before the Lord. I was thinking about this. And I was thinking of these thousands of people that he was going to lead. I can back up in the scripture why he was running for his life. All these mighty men, these dudes were warriors, man. They got guy that, that he killed so many Philistines that his, his sword got stuck in his hand. There was this guy that whenever the, the harvest season come, it says that the Philistines come, and he all by himself stood there and took on the whole nation of the Philistines because it was his time to reap in a pea patch. There was a guy named Beniah. It said on a snowy day, he went in a pit and defeated a lion. Killed two big Egyptians with a spear. It was that David that stood there when the whole nation of Israel was shaking in their boots when there was a giant down in the valley saying, come on. It was this guy, this tough guy. And all these mighty men follow him. And I thought, what was these mighty men think of this? Like, I work with men. Like, we're, we're kind of rough and gruff a little bit. I ain't doing that. And then I got to thinking. It's that very thing of humility. It's that very thing of leadership. It's that very thing of worshiping his God, and he didn't care who knew. That caused all them mighty men to follow him. And a river rolled through him. David touched lives. Why? Because he didn't care. He knew that his power for, come from God. He knew that when he had to face the Philistines, where to go. He knew when a giant come into his life, where he had to be, who he had to hear from, and he knew what to do. And he didn't care what his neighbors thought. He didn't care what his kingdom thought. He didn't care what his identity was. He didn't care what the authority was. He didn't care what his crown looked like. Whenever he had a chance to get into the presence of God, he took it and his life was transformed and his kingdom was mighty for it. And that's where David's power come from because it's a funny story, but it didn't matter. He was willing to be funny and lay face down in front of the whole kingdom and all the nations because the king of kings and the lord of lords was coming to town. And it didn't matter if David was a king. He was serving the king of kings. David knew God. We have him living inside of us. It said this. Verse 22. Dude freaked everybody out. 
Here's our king. His wife, she knew what it was supposed to look like. It was his father-in-law, King Saul. Dude tried to chase and kill him. Verse 22, it says this. His wife gives him a hard time. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for my maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. I don't know. That's the word I brought this morning. I don't know, man, if you're intimidated by your neighbors, by your co-workers. I don't know about your family and where they're at. But Jesus says, when you come to me, I believe we're all there. Brother Josh made sure of it a couple weeks ago. He gave you the opportunity. When you come to me, I'll give you rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Prophesy that over your life. Speak that into existence in your neighborhood. Put that in your marriage. Man, that was a big old river I seen the other day. It was unstoppable. There were hippopotamuses lived in that thing. Alligators. They said them floodwaters was like, like I said, man, they, they said it was like meters, so I'm thinking it was like 100 foot deep just gushing out. It was unstoppable. And that's exactly what Jesus uses, that, to tell us what it's like having His Spirit inside of us. Man, we're unstoppable. Oh, obstructions will come. Stuff may be floating, logs and debris may be floating down your river. But keep your eye on the source. He always finds a way. He'll make a way. Sometimes he'll take the path of least resistance. You may not see that river for a while, little while. But then all of a sudden it just comes popping up. Just doing what rivers do. Just being a river. You never know when you're the river where you'll start and you never know where you'll finish. But it's the rivers of living water that He promises. Amen.